All right, folks, if we could make our way to our seats for a few short announcements and the reading of God's Word. Okay, um, just want to let everybody know on September 28th, there is going to be a workday scheduled. And we're looking for a couple folks to help with some of the ceiling tile work and some of the framework. And if anybody is available or interested in helping in those two areas, Rick Patrick is over here and Jeff Shank is, where is he? What did I say? March. No, I said Saturday and I thought it said September. Excuse me. Saturday the 28th. Thank you for that correction. We'll have another one scheduled in September if you're really that excited about this, depending on how this one turns out, but that's good. Okay, um, College and Career Night Game Night is going to be this coming Friday night from 7 to 9, and have they got a place scheduled yet, Tanner? Are they here? I don't see the Basosas here this morning. To be determined. We need to determine that before Friday. So anyway, so if you're interested in that, their number is on the bulletin, and you can get in touch with them so you can be a part of that as well. Uh, also coming up on Wednesday, March 25th, is Magnify Worship Night. Um, this is just going to be an amazing night. It, it's always good to get together. It's going to be this on a Wednesday, so that's when our community groups would normally get together, but we feel like this is just a great time for us to, um, focusing on God, uh, of his, the redeeming work of Christ, and that is just going to be a sweet, precious time, so I look forward to that, so um, invite you to uh, be a part of that as well. Even if you're not in a community group, you definitely want to be a part of that, so that's for the entire church. Um, last is the Worldview Academy is going to be coming up. Um, the sign-up, it's going to be coming up June 28th through July 3rd, but if you're going to be interested in that, anybody, uh, the young folks in the room uh, and the families, if you would like to be a part of that, get in touch with Alex Bowman and uh, so you can register for that to get ready. So that is going to be a great opportunity coming up. And with that, if we could... Uh, I'll stand and open your Bibles to Isaiah 32, 1 through 8. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like Dreams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Then the eyes of the, those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammers, stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and to deprive the thirsty of drink. As for the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words, even with the plea of the needy is right. But he who is noble plans noble things, and noble things he stands. On noble things he stands. Now if we'll turn back over to 33, verses 21 and 22. But there the Lord and his majesty will be for us, a place of broad rivers and streams where no galley with oars can go, nor majestic ship can pass. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Amen. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Well, we don't really promote our live stream, um, but given just the uniqueness of the situation that we find ourselves in, 
to those who are live streaming, we welcome you and uh, glad that we can participate like this. We don't, um, we don't encourage kind of watching from home from the couch, but again, um, obviously kind of a different day this week. So um, for those who are at home, in particular for our elderly who uh, thought it wise to remain home, um, we just so glad that, well, we're grateful for technology where we can still be together. Uh, I tell you what, and secondly, um, if you are live streaming, we're going to put a phone number on the screen. Hopefully you can see that from our, our camera, but um, if you would text into that number, we would just like to know, um, maybe just text into that number with your name. Uh, we'd love to know, just from a curious standpoint, how many folks are live streaming this morning? And uh, also, just a thank you to Justin for um, developing that. It's really pretty amazing that we're not, we're not scrambling this morning, that um, we've got the technology in place and that's, that's going on. And so thank you, Justin, and the team for taking care of those things. Let's pray and dive into the word. Father, we now pray for just your hand of blessing in the preaching of your word. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. As you already have, encourage us this morning, as you already have, Lord, and further build your church. Lord, while we might be smaller in number in the room, Lord, just so grateful, as has already been spoken, you are the king you are enthroned. Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we do not need to fear because um, you're king over it all. Lord, thank you that though we might live in this world, we are not of this world. And so our response is going to be profoundly different from the world. But where we are anxious, Lord, encourage us this morning. Through the preaching of your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, sovereignly, God would have us in Isaiah 32 and 33 this morning. Sovereignly, prior to a number of closures um, this week and shutting down of things this week, I wrote on a piece of paper, a possible title of this sermon, and it was this, Peace, How We Lost It, and How Do We Get It? Peace is defined as a state of tranquility or quiet, such as a freedom from civil disturbance, a state of security or order within a community provided by law or custom. Vocabulary.com says peace is a stress-free state of security and calmness that comes when there's no fighting or war, everything coexisting in perfect harmony and freedom. When you feel at peace with yourself, you are content to be the person you are, flaws and everything. Just definitions. Buddha, probably didn't think that was coming this morning, Buddha's definition of peace is this, peace comes from within. Do not seek it without. Might be a different approach than how we're going to approach that this morning. Politicians from both sides of the aisle promise peace and then fight about policies of how to get peace. I find that a little bit ironic. Songwriters write and sing about peace. Amanda, if you will, please.
myself off there, sorry. The interesting irony of the song, John Lennon's song, is the first line. Imagine there's no heaven. And then the rest of the song, he sings about heaven. Because heaven will be perfect peace. Why Will heaven be perfect peace? Because in heaven, there will be no sin. I actually listened to that song this week and it just made me profoundly sad to hear the gospel according to John Lennon and the irony that I just shared. Peace. Hollywood pontificates about it. Martin Luther marched for it. Buddha taught it. University students pick it for it. Politicians promise it. All people everywhere hope for it. Songwriters sing about it. Technology dreams it. And the Bible offers it. Peace is the dream, the imagine, the imagination of all the world. It's a global hope. Imagine all the people Living life in peace. You say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. We even have a slang. Peace out. (laughs) And yet this dream of peace has avoided us. Throughout the entire history of humanity. We've never had it. We've never achieved it. Truth be told, the more educated we are, the more technological we are, the, we, we, we are today the most advanced society in all of history, and yet we are unable to manufacture peace. But we are an enlightened people. We have a vast wealth of knowledge. Why haven't we figured this one out yet? Forget world peace. We can't even have peace in our own living rooms. Why? Well, that's Isaiah 32 and 33. Isaiah is explaining why we lack peace, why we lack the peace that we long for, and then he walks us through how we might attain it. 
we begin with the reason why we lack peace. The, the reason we have no peace is because we lack righteousness, meaning we are not right with God. When sin entered the garden, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They sinned. And we might think about that and we think, you know, well, I don't really think that was that big of a deal. Was it all that? Well, consider what their sin, what was rooting their sin. They determined that God was not to be trusted. They determined that his words were not to be followed. That the creator, well, the created thing shouldn't submit it's oneself to the creator, the one who made them. Shouldn't be trusted, shouldn't be listened to. Let's ignore him and let's do our own thing. We could even say that's the definition of sin, to ignore the creator and do our own thing as if he didn't exist. And as a result, all of creation was cursed and they were sent out of the garden. They were separated due to their sins, separated from God. They no longer had peace with God. Prior to the sin, they had peace with God. But after sin, they were unrighteous. They had a righteousness problem. They no longer had peace with God. And as a result, humanity is not basically good. We're not right with God. We are sinners. We have a righteousness problem. We are not inclined to obey God. We're not inclined to listen to his word to us today. And that's why politics and education and Hollywood and technology has not been able to fix our peace problem. And it never will. And Elon Musk will perhaps one day create a colony on Mars to get away from this disaster, the planet Earth, and it will be a colony that will be established with a lack of, well, it will be established as a peaceful colony. But we'll see, soon see that this lack of peace will follow those who travel to Mars and they will find themselves to be lacking peace as well. Why? Well, because our lack of peace with other people is directly connected with our lack of peace with God. Buddha was wrong. We need to look outside of ourselves. People have been looking inside of themselves for all of history. We need to look outside of ourselves for peace. Look at verse number five, chapter 32. The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. For the fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity. That's a good definition of a fool. A fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, unrighteousness, to utter error concerning the Lord. That was Adam and Eve and that is you and I every time we sin. When we sin, we play the fool. Busy with iniquity, practicing ungodliness, uttering error concerning the Lord. To leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and deprived, deprive the thirsty of drink. As for the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words, even when the plea of the needy is right. What is a fool? Well, we all are. <laughs> we are all foolish sinners. Sin is foolishness going to go my own way, going to reject the wisdom of the creator, going to do my own thing, going to reject the wisdom of God. Every time we sin, we reveal ourselves to be the fool. And in verse six, we are busy with that, busy with that iniquity 
to practice ungodliness. And in verse seven, the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He's, he's planning these wicked schemes. And then in verse nine, rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In a little more than a year, you will shudder, you complacent women. Sorry, ladies. It's Isaiah. For the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. And so he's saying it over, three times over, complacent, complacent, complacent. You are at ease. You are, what does he say? Verse, verse nine, who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. They're not listening to the wisdom of God, to the word of God. It is, it is Isaiah saying, look, we want to make sure we're clear here. Let's include the women. It's to say all of society is a foolish, scoundrel mess. Lacking righteousness. And so three times over, complacent, complacent, complacent. In their ease, they're complacent. What do you hear when you hear that? In their ease, they were deaf to the words of God and they were complacent. When I hear that, I hear in their prosperity. In their prosperity, what? They slash we don't need God. In their ease, in their prosperity, they are not listening to the words of God. They become complacent. Oh, that is such a helpful um, word for us this morning. In our prosperity, have we become so comfortable at such ease um, that we no longer listen to the words of God? We become complacent in our foolishness and scoundrel, scoundrels that we are. Isaiah is saying that it's the ease and the comfort, it's that prosperity that's making us deaf to the words of God. Besides, the women could say, remember chapter 31? I know it's a long week, right? A lot of things happened this week. So you might have forgotten, but we talked about two crowns last week. Two voices and two trusts. God is sovereign. He sets up the preaching calendar. Well, in chapter 31, the women might have wanted to remind Isaiah that we have an alliance with Egypt. We've made a deal with our enemy. Isn't that wonderful? We've made an alliance. And those Egyptians, they've got horses and chariots. They got a big army. What a great alliance. We don't really need the Lord. We don't need to uh, align ourselves with the Lord as king. We would rather align ourselves with our enemy as king. Dan, thank you for sharing that word this morning. So appropriate. Do you remember, well, of course you do. You remember the aftermath of 9-11? The aftermath of 9-11, there were calls for prayer across our country there was talks about returning to church. There was talks about returning to God. That lasted maybe two weeks, at best two months. Prosperity returned to the country oh so quickly that it's even appropriate for me to ask, do you remember 9-11? Prosperity quickly returned and complacency rolled right back in and we no longer heard the word of the Lord in our country. You see, we don't have peace because we're not right with God. We are not righteous. And the thing is, whatever Buddha might say, the, the thing is, is we can't look inside of ourselves to fix that problem. The answer to our lack of peace in our lives, in our world, is not in us. It's not, as Lenin sang, the brotherhood of man. Imagine The point of this middle section of Isaiah 32 is to say we don't have peace and we're unable to look at ourselves or look to ourselves to make that peace happen. 
So how do we find peace? Glad you asked. That's the rest of the chapter. Number one, Isaiah is going to point us to the king. The king. It's a theme for us this morning, isn't it? The king. Do you remember during our Christmas season, four Sundays in uh, December, we spent going through, and his name shall be called Let me read to you it in context. Verse six, for unto us a child is born. Isaiah prophesying the Messiah, the Savior will come. To us a son is given and the government, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, say it, Prince of Peace. And ever since Isaiah chapter nine, he's been working out that theme. King has been a theme ever since chapter nine. And he's working out that theme. If he is to be the prince of peace, how, how's, that, how's that to play out? How's that to be? Because the kings of men in Isaiah's day are absolutely failing the people. They're the ones initiating these alliances with other nations' kings. They're the ones that's leading the people to, let's not trust in the king, let's trust in these kings. We need to align ourselves with these kings because we don't know that the king is able to come through for us. And that's, again, the very thing that we're walking through right now with the virus. We pray that there would be a vaccine that would come, right? We pray that those people who are involved in that medically, we, 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 we pray. But listen, that is not the believer's hope. That's not the Savior. We pray for that. We ask that God would bring common grace through the means of the medical community. But listen, if there is suddenly a vaccine tomorrow, if your heart suddenly is now at peace, we are looking to the wrong king. We look to King Jesus, and that's what he's doing when literally armies are marching upon their cities. Not unlike how a virus, you're watching the numbers in different, and some of you know, oh, there's, no, there's none counted yet in Brevard County, as if there are none. No, listen, the armies are in Brevard County too. But that's... The, the, the vaccine or that suddenly this would um, disappear and go away, that's not the believer's peace. We have a greater peace. We have a greater savior. Viruses will come and they will go and there'll be more. Jesus, same, yesterday, today, forever. So the armies marched in on them one nation, one kingdom rose up. The next kingdom annihilated that kingdom and rose up and the next kingdom rose up. And you can go through that all through history. America will come and go, but there is a king. And Isaiah is pointing us to that king, a new king, a different king from all the other kings that they knew as king. Look at chapter 32. Let's go backwards. Verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. That is, that is Isaiah saying, there is a better king who will come. Because all these kings that they've put their hope and their trust in have failed them. All those kings were righteous failures. But Isaiah is prophesying of the king who will come. And that king, it will be established in righteousness. And princes will rule in justice. And here's the thing. In the kingdoms of man, their rule was not justice. Their rule was, let's, let's live large on the backs of the weak. Let's profit
on the downtrodden. But this king will be a different king who will reign in righteousness instead of the foolishness and the scoundrel kingdoms of man. The very thing we lack, righteousness, is the very thing that his rule and reign is made of, righteousness. And he'll rule in justice instead of those kings who ruled for their own gain. He will not rule to further himself by abusing the weak. His rule will be a rule of justice. He will serve the weak by laying down his life for the weak, you and I. What a king we serve. Again, verse one, behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. Verse two, each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like a shade of a great rock in a weary land. Shelter from the storm, this king. Peace is being described in the midst of the storm. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know. The tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. Does that remind you of anyone or anything? As you bump forward and consider King Jesus, as you consider your... New Testament. Jesus showed up on the scene and we've said it before as we're walking through Isaiah. He he shows up and he says what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is here. The king has come and he's bringing his kingdom, his rule, his reign. And this king does so bring his rule and reign, his righteousness to fools and scoundrels who are devising iniquity. What an amazing, good, and gracious king we serve. Secondly, he talks about the spirit, verse 15. Until the spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful Field. The Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Does that bring any recollections to you of your New Testament? Acts chapter 2, where God's Spirit is poured out from on high. Verse 15 is saying that the wilderness became fruitful. <laughs> it's the reverse of verse 14. We haven't read that yet. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field and the effect of righteousness will be peace. The righteousness, the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. This is the effect of Christ's righteousness through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit made alive and real to our hearts where the Holy Spirit brings light into the darkness, and he makes our lives fruitful in the wilderness. What's being described here is the transforming presence of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. You were a wilderness, fools and scoundrels. Through the King and the Spirit, you become fruitful because he is transforming our hearts. This righteousness being spoken of here in verse 16 and 17 is not our own righteousness. It is the righteousness of the king, King Jesus, and that righteousness. Look, when you talk about the righteousness of Jesus, I love the way it's put here, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, 
In other words, it will accomplish, his righteousness will accomplish what it sets out to do. There will be an effect and that effect will be peace. Jesus took our sins. He took our unrighteousness, which has separated us us from God, which is the reason why we are not at peace with God. Christ came, his rule and his reign, the kingdom of God is here and the work of the spirit who makes us alive. It is Christ's righteousness imputed to us. It's our unrighteousness taken from us that brings us into right relationship with God, peace restored as it once was in the beginning God created That righteousness doesn't come from within us. It's outside of us. Fools and scoundrels, you and me, have been radically transformed by the king and by the spirit. And this transformation, Isaiah's telling us through the inspiration of the spirit, brings us peace in the midst of armies marching into their cities because the father now views us through the righteousness of the Son that the Spirit has awakened in our hearts and turned the lights on, bringing us to faith in Christ. One day we'll get to Isaiah 53. Listen to verse four. You're familiar. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. It's the gospel according to Isaiah. And he shall bear their iniquities. But how can we know that one day when we die, we'll have peace with God? What what sort of way might God's word here in Isaiah offer us a further sense of assurance that we have peace with God? Is it just that God is love? And it'll all work out in the end? Or is there something more that God would have us to know about himself? See, when it comes to my eternal salvation, comes to your, have no confidence in yourself. Shudder the idea that there's something in me that I'm to look to to create this peace. See, the reason we have the word of God, we so easily take it for granted. The reason we have it is God wants to make himself known. This is God on God. This is God revealing himself to us. This is not something that's to be decoded. That there's some hidden mystery message in here that you gotta, you know, do all sorts of somersaults around. No, God wants to be known. And he makes himself known right here in this book. Study it. Be a student of it. Love theology. It's the study of God. God making himself known. Well, listen, we're just gonna jump into chapter 33 to one verse, maybe two. Look to verse 22. For the Lord, he's gonna tell us who the Lord is three times, three, three ways, is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is is our king. He will save us. Commentators would say of 
chapter 33, verse 22. You might want to put a highlighter on that one. Commentators would say, that is your capstone to the book. It's a big moment in the book. It's the high point of the chapter. It's the mountaintop. It's everything that Isaiah's been been building up to since chapter seven, verse 14. Do you remember that? You'll know it when you hear it. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that to be God with us. You see, the question that's been on the table ever since chapter seven of Isaiah is the same question that's on the table for us. What are we, March 15th, 2020? 16th? 15th, thanks. Same questions on the table. Will you allow God to be king of your life or will you look to another king? They decided they would look to the other nations. That the other nations were a better bet. Last week we called it to trust. Who or what will you trust in? Will you trust in the rule and the reign of the things of this world or will you trust in God? Will you trust in his rule and reign in your life? Not just trusting in him for your salvation, certainly. But we trust in his rule and reign in everything, life and death. And verse 22 is saying, you can't really trust in someone that you don't know. So I want you to know, who is this God? Who is this king? What are some descriptors? And all of God's word is saying, know me, know me, know me. Know this king who rules and reigns and saves so that you might then trust me. You see, you don't trust what you don't know, right? So you call me or I call you and I say, who's your mechanic? Which is another way to say, who do you trust with your car? Because we've probably all gone to a mechanic and felt like we got took. (laughs) And so we make the phone call. Who's your mechanic? Who do you know? Because I want to take my car to someone that you know because it says to me you trust that person. Last, at the end of last year, uh, we started to get pine beetles in our pine trees and... Um, Well, I thought initially I was getting one tree cut down, and so I started to round up some estimates, and I'm finding out as tree companies come out, they're like, well, that one's got pine beetle too, and that one's got pine beetle too, and that one's got eight times over. I've got like, I don't even know, 20 to 30 more pine trees in my backyard. So I'm starting to go, oh my gosh, time out. And I remember in particular, as I'm calling different tree companies, um, in a, um, but there's a trust issue. Are you just saying this? <laughs> and so I remember in particular, this one individual came to the door. We walked out back and we're having conversation. And I just looked at him and said, he was asking for, this is how the payment plan's gonna work out and kind of telling me what it'll be. And I just said, look, if I go with you, here's the thing. And I don't want this to sound wrong. I don't want it to sound weird. I don't know you. I don't trust you. And so this is how the payment plan's gonna work out. (laughs) And I told him, this is how we're gonna do this. He agreed and he became my tree company. You can't trust who you don't know. And Isaiah wants you to know. And the word of God wants you to know. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who is God? Not only is he the king who rules and reigns, not only is he the spirit who transforms the wilderness into a fruitful land, but he is also, number three, the judge. 
Now, when Isaiah says judge, we immediately think of Andrew Joy's world. That's not the kind of judge that he's talking about here. It's not courtroom. It's actually the book of Judges, judge. There's a big difference. In the book of Judges, the judges were there as people who are raised up by God to deliver his people, to be a rescuer of his people. Deliverer. Guys like Ehud. He's an odd one. You might want to read about him. Samson or women like Deborah. The judges hear this. They were used by God to deliver his people. But all those judges, every one of them, read about them in the book with that title, right? They were flawed. They were imperfect people. They were imperfect deliverers, imperfect rescuers. The point here that Isaiah is making is that they, the people of his day and us in our day, are not to look to humanity to be that judge deliverer. We are to know God and trust in God, our judge, our deliverer. Then he says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver. My understanding is that word doesn't translate real well into our English. Let me explain. The literal translation might be, the Lord is our inscriber. The Lord is our engraver, meaning he decrees on you. God has engraved on you. It'd be weird if that was the translation. So again, it's a little tricky to translate, but it is to remind us of God and Moses when he engraved his commandments on the stones. The law was engraved onto those stone tablets, but now God has engraved you onto himself. He has written you on his heart. He's lawgiver. He's engraver. He's the one who once engraved on stones. Now he engraves you on his heart. And lastly, we return to where we began. The Lord is our king, it says. He will save us. Full circle. He's our king. His spirit dwells in us. He's the judge, lawgiver, king. Meaning we can live in his kingdom, the city of God. We live in America right now. We live under a government. We have a president. We have a Congress and a Senate and all those pieces. We live under that government, but we are citizens of another kingdom the kingdom of God. This is not our home. We are aliens and strangers. We are just passing through to the greater kingdom, the kingdom of our Father, where we will live under the gracious and merciful reign of a greater king. He, it says, he will save us. Wow, just Every word counts at this point. Do you know this judge, lawgiver, king? Like the mechanic who you can trust. Because you know him. Or perhaps you're struggling with trusting in God. Perhaps the message for you this morning is you need to dig into this, the word of God. You need to dig into the character of God, the attributes of God, and make it a study. Do you know this judge, lawgiver, and king? Because if you don't know him, how do you expect to truly trust him? The Lord is our king. He will save us. The word save there in the Hebrew is yesha. It means to save, to deliver, to rescue. It's the verb form of the noun Yeshua, 
Joshua, Jesus, Yahweh saves. Yahweh, Yeshua, he delivers, he rescues. In three weeks, it will be Palm Sunday. So I want to throw out a reference. Mark chapter 11 records Jesus getting on that donkey. He's going to ride into Jerusalem. Mark 11 says, And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus came riding in on that donkey and the people threw their palm branches on the ground before them as if to say, we lay ourselves down before you to be, to be, to be your means to walk upon. Hosanna in the highest, they cried. Blessed is the coming kingdom. The word Hosanna comes from the word Yesha. Save! We might say it like this. Salvation! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Salvation in the highest. Who is God? He's the king who has come to offer us peace under his rule and his reign. He is the spirit who comes to transform us as fools and scoundrels, wilderness into a fruitful field. He is the judge who delivers and rescues. He is the lawgiver who has engraved you on his own heart. He is the king. He will save us. Do you know him? Let's stand together and let's sing.